0: So my name is Andrea Welsh
1: and my name is Mike Dimitriev
0: and this is our podcast Curriculum Mortis where we talk about uh, academic life and answer your questions about what it's like to be in academia as a grad student and as a postdoc um, but we'll answer questions about anything academics related that we can try to answer.
1: Yeah. And the emphasis is on try to answer because a lot of the times we're going to be pulling from our own experience, but mainly.
0: I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say we were going to be pulling out of our asses, and that's probably true too.
1: (laughs) That is fair.
0: So last week we started with. Our what are summers <laughs> last were like?
1: Week, last week is well, um okay, is we, inaccurate.
0: <laughs> okay, so we filmed the first episode like a month ago and didn't want to listen to our voices for a while. We still don't. And we just posted it last week, so I'm going to refer that to that as last week. But we started by talking about um, what a certain amount of time was like for us. Like the oh, summer. oh
1: the, the intro to the episode. Yes,
0: of. yes. So um, I think I went first, so maybe you can go first this time and talk about what your last few weeks have been like. Oh, jeez.
1: Um, oh, okay. If what, you can remember. Yeah, what have the last few weeks been like? Well, um, organizing group meetings, organizing journal club.
0: So when you mean group meetings, you mean with your lab?
1: Yeah, with my lab and actually another theory lab that we um, we meet with sometimes Um,
0: so how are those structured well I asked because my group hasn't really had group meetings Um, yeah
1: yeah so so it took us a little bit of time to to figure out a structure for these because one option was to have a person talk every week another option for a little while we tried um every week having three people talking, giving shorter updates, Um, that was, considering that between the two groups, there were, uh, what, five grad students, and I'm the only postdoc, we cycled through uh, every other week. Uh So, that was a little bit draining to give at least we found it pretty draining to give research updates that often. So
0: since you're organizing, did you decide to change that up or
1: Yeah, so uh we so both of the PIs returned um from wherever PIs go over the summer, so various conferences. PI land. Yeah, PI land. Um so we decided that since it was rather draining to meet so often and have everybody give research updates so often we would essentially give have one person give a research update a very long research update Mm -hmm. every other week and in the weeks in between we have a knitting circle
0: oh that's cool
1: yeah yeah it is really cool so um tomorrow is actually a knitting circle at this point but it's a it's it's a little bit different of an organizational um Set up for these for these group meetings, and um, it's a quite a bit more chill.
0: You just reminded me that actually, I think we're supposed to have a group meeting this week, and I supposedly am the one organizing these, so okay. <laughs> I should send out the reminder email yeah. and figure out who had signed up to talk. Um,
1: well, yeah, you, I
0: forget that we have these. They are not as like well organized as yours. I think. Uh, I don't
1: know. So you. I recall having the problem where you have to pressure certain people to give talks.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it also doesn't help since the, uh, my PI doesn't seem to care as much about the group meetings, so it was a long time, like, trying to get it to be semi-regular, and, um, we have at least a few weeks planned, uh, but I obviously forgot, even though I'm the one organizing.
1: That's okay. I mean... In theory, we were supposed to have journal clubs this summer.
0: Was that a pun? Because you're also a well, theorist. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you no. guys have theory groups.
1: I like to pun a lot, but it's it's unintentional. Keep in okay. mind that you are also invited to these journal clubs.
0: It's oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's
1: a soft matter-wide uh, journal right. club.
0: I don't know what my field is considered yet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so I kind of dropped the ball on organizing those. But mm-hmm. again, during the summers, it things quiet down on our campus quite a bit, mm-hmm. and, um, and honestly, I I just didn't feel like people really wanted to meet and talk about science all that often. Um,
0: yeah, and so it's, it's nice to have a break sometimes.
1: A break is necessary sometimes, despite what um, various uh, academics say.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know the ones I'm talking yeah, about now I know um, so you also I know you had to buy flights for a conference that you have coming up um, like you had to do some planning that I remember sorry I just remember you waking me up one day while I was napping or something and you said oh hey I got accepted into this thing and I still honestly don't know what it is I'm sorry yeah
1: no it's, <laughs> it's just yet another conference that's all um, I mean, you've been through this too. It's...
0: Like, when did you apply for this one?
1: Late spring, early summer, something uh, okay. like that.
0: Um, and do you know, like, how competitive this no. confer- Okay.
1: This is my first time to this conference, um, and, you know, it, it varies conference to conference, and...
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, to be honest, what I had to do was just write, um write a statement of interest, talk about my research, mm-hmm. talk about and and I, I know that you've you've had to do this before. It's it's pretty standard for, for these smaller conferences especially. Yeah. Um write write about how your research is applicable to this conference. Who you whom you might want to talk to at the conference. Yeah.
0: That's kind of there's one that I was looking at yesterday. Um, where there's similar sorts of questions and I'm trying to think about how to answer those.
1: And submit a CV, so it's good to keep keep an up-to-date CV, which I'm um, not very good at, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. So, to those of you out there who are planning on applying to conferences, I guess applying to anything, actually, no, to everyone out there, try to keep an up-to-date CV. Um, I'm being completely hypocritical about this, I'm terrible at it, but do as I say, not as I do.
0: I'm actually pretty good at it, usually. Sometimes I even just leave my CV open on my desktop and, like, update it every once in a while.
1: Along with every other program okay. imaginable. Okay,
0: yeah, whatever. But, um...
1: Seriously, like, all the Word documents...
0: I don't have that many Word documents. The Word's not really a common thing I use on my computer, but... I do but the summer was pretty busy, So, and I guess the spring too, because when I was updating my CV this past few weeks, I realized I had forgotten a lot of things Um, from basically back since like March, maybe, maybe, or I don't know, and it's what, September, I didn't know what month it was
1: for well, a brief moment. For our field, I'd say you're a little bit of an exception because you do a lot of outreach events and...
0: I give a lot of talks too.
1: Yeah, and and as a grad student, actually, you give an unusual amount of talks yeah. in our field. So. Anything
0: uh, else you wanted to talk about about the last few weeks?
1: No. No. Okay. No. So so, how about you? How were your last few weeks? Of course, we <laughs> lived together. So,
0: <laughs> and and
1: truth, I actually know exactly how your last few weeks went. But yes, I will I try to know
0: everything.
1: That's true. Uh-huh. I may not know everything. So tell know. me, what are the dirty secrets of your no I'm joking. But I will try to
0: my dirty little secret.
1: So I will try to play the interviewer part. So okay. I don't know how to be an interviewer. I don't know um how were your last few weeks?
0: Okay. Well, since the plan knock on
1: wood. The the I might
0: have knocked on wood too early there. I didn't
1: The plan with a capital P, or... What? What plan?
0: I didn't finish! Okay. (laughs) Since the plan is to defend my thesis in the spring, summer, something like that, um, I've been looking at job positions for next fall, Um, so I've been looking... Yep.
1: What, what's, what type of jobs? Okay,
0: so I've been looking at primarily postdoc, um, like, researcher positions, but also some teaching at a, like, four-year um, institution, so one that doesn't have a graduate program. Those are the ones that I'm primarily looking at, but uh, I've also been looking at some other sorts of positions, like researcher at a um, national lab, uh,
1: okay.
0: I, I haven't been looking too hard at those, but they do come up in the searches and I take a look. So those are basically the ones I've been looking at recently, postdoc position and professor at a four-year institution. So I've been looking at those and I actually sent in my first postdoc application last Monday.
1: Hooray! Right.
0: That was scary as fuck. Yes. Um. So... Other than that, since the semester started back up, uh, I've been called on to do a lot of miscellaneous things, such Mm -hmm. as helping out with the Society of Women in Physics um, meetings. So, you know, we had that liquid nitrogen ice cream social that we've had since I started it four years ago. Um, I can't believe it's in its fourth year, but so it's been nice to to meet the undergrads and, and the new grad students.
1: So I wanted to bring this up at some point. What you're doing as a grad student is a little bit rare in um in our field. And rare. In that you're interacting with grad with undergrads, I guess and grad students, through sort of extracurricular organizations. Mm-hmm. you you've sort of developed the Society of Women in Physics out of yeah. our school. And that's That's not all that common for grad students. Um, Usually grad students, from my experience and I believe yours, tend to keep their heads down, tend to stay in the labs a bit, don't really do these organizational things.
0: And a lot of them still do. I mean, even trying to get some of my office mates to come to the liquid nitrogen ice cream social, which, free ice cream, come on, just leave the office for a few minutes Yeah, um, was pretty difficult and actually I didn't, I gave up trying because it didn't seem like it was worth it, but I think it's still good to be a part of a community and since I want to be a professor at some point, uh, I think I take a lot of interest in working with the undergrads and working with um, grad students just to see how a like university community is. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, it's a it's a little bit different. It's not bad at all. And certainly it does take some of your time, but it's it seems to be something that you enjoy doing. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Is there any anything else that happened?
0: Um yeah, we're trying to finish up this paper and My advisor has added new parts to it, and I have been fighting with um, an Arduino, trying to get that to work. It's still not working perfectly, but it's doing mostly what we want it to do. That was a little exciting to to actually get it to work um, and just see it doing what we sort of wanted it to. Um, and other than that, I guess the other big thing is probably trying to reach out to more of the LGBT uh, grad students, mm-hmm. because as you know, we don't really have a organized group on campus. Um, there is a pride group, but it's mostly undergrads. Um, they open it to grad students, but I think just because of um, the scheduling of their events and what sort of activities they typically do, it just doesn't fit in with, like, what a grad student wants to do or has time to do.
1: Which is interesting because now that you bring that up, um, there really aren't, again, at least at our campus, there aren't that many organizations that are really um, explicitly there for grad students. Uh, certainly yeah. some some undergraduate organizations will say grad students are welcome, but yeah again, being run usually by undergrad students, they don't really understand what the graduate student lifestyle is or, or needs are necessarily.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know like women in chemistry is actually primarily, or is I think all grad students. Oh, good. Um, so we've talked about some of the differences there. Um, I think the women in mechanical engineering one, Also, mostly grad students, or all grad students, so it's a a little weird, and I think it also just depends on how big the community is and and things like that. But um, you know, usually with LGBT students, they might not be as out, Um, and as a grad student, you're pretty isolated, like coming into your department, so it's hard to really find that sort of community. And for undergrads, since they spend most of their time on campus. Um, I think it's easier for them to develop such a community. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of a difficult thing. Um, I basically spammed well not spammed but I sent an email to every single chair of every single department of every single school or college whatever of our school and asked them to forward an email to their graduate students to be added to our like secret list um, and hoped to get some sort of event going and we had an event and um six people came which was nice even though well I preferred that because I don't really like the large large events but um I did get a lot of people asking to join the group or you know a handful I don't know what a lot is but but that was nice to see that the email actually went out and a lot of the per a lot of the professors um were very happy to forward the email or even thanked me for you know organizing such a thing, which I thought was pretty nice because I I was a little worried they were going to ask, like, like who told you you could do this, mm-hmm. or or why are you spamming all of us, or something like that. So I was a little worried, but I didn't have any pushback as far as I know.
1: Yeah. Um, it's interesting because some of these events that you've organized in the past... I feel like there have been more uh faculty presence than graduate student presence and yeah and then more undergrad presence of course. Mm-hmm. So it's it is it is a bit interesting that grad students are um at least in the organizational sense tend to be a bit less interested or less available maybe. I don't
0: know. What um one of the guys at dinner last night just said grad students are flaky. And I think that's kind of the best. I mean, I've heard that multiple times from, uh, like, just other people. And I think, for some reason, we're pretty flaky. I, I flaked out on a, an event yesterday when I had double-booked myself. Um, so I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, so that that's kind of been... What my last few weeks have been, some of these social things, some of these organizational things, and some new work trying to write up stuff, applying to positions, Mm -hmm. that fun stuff.
1: Great. Shall we um, jump into some questions? And now it's question time.
0: Okay. Um, So we still have our original pool of questions. Feel free to send some in. We'll be, uh, giving you the best way of doing that at the end of the podcast, but we have a few weeks worth of questions still to go through. Okay, um, so, here I think is a very good question, um, and I'd like to see how we've done it differently.
1: There's no bad questions. No,
0: but I, I mean, like, we can both talk about this one. There's some that you have more experience than I do.
1: Yeah, I just want to say, there's only good questions. But then there's some very good questions.
0: Okay. So, anonymous person has asked, how do I send that first email to a potential advisor? So,
1: you open up no. your email client, no.
0: okay. type, Stop.
1: hit send. Stop.
0: Um, Jk.
1: So
0: how did you email your, like, PhD advisor? Or how did you... Talk to him first to say you were interested.
1: Yeah, so what we have at, at our institution is seminars for first-year grad students. And actually, I guess the senior undergrads are there too. But, um, but there are research presentation seminars. Um, so every week, a faculty member, um, a PI of some lab, we'll talk about the research for about an hour um give give a research talk some of them are really good some of them are
0: yeah some of them are not so good yeah
1: no so, sometimes sometimes pi's are either really busy or just don't care but um or the, don't show up or don't I'm show up that
0: happened a few times yeah
1: smiling. again that falls into the really busy or don't care but yeah. some of them uh Show up and at least try to give a little bit of a presentation, but um but some of them are quite good, and i one of them I attended was I thought was really good, and um I ran to talk to him afterwards, um
0: oh, so you talked to him in person,
1: oh yeah, yeah, it, literally right after the seminar happened, uh because I was very excited, actually, and well, let's hear my class size was. 18 20 something like that um so there were there weren't too too many people to let's say um compete with i Mm -hmm. suppose Mm -hmm. um but But you still
0: wanted to get like right in there yeah
1: so so what i did was i you know i didn't act interested i was interested i was legitimately interested i was like
0: at first i thought you were saying (laughs) Oh, you tried to play it, like, nonchalant, yeah. hard to
1: get. Yeah, I totally played hard um, to get. No, no, I did not uh, play hard to get. Your
0: your work, hmm, isn't as interesting as you think
1: it is. No, like it. I did exactly the opposite. Okay. I was fascinated with it. And yeah. I had a boatload of questions, and I was like, I would like to talk to you about this, um, if you have time. And, of course, you know, at least I thought it was pretty respectful. But, mm. but I mean, um if you can secure that first meeting and I was I was quickly able to secure a meeting from him. He was quite nice about it. Um, you know, he gave me the time of day. Um it it, it goes very far and I think taking that first step can be really difficult.
0: Did he ask you for any particular information, like your C V resume or like your GPA or anything like that?
1: Um no, I'm trying to remember. He didn't. Okay. Um, we I ta- know some do. Yeah, we, we we talked about it eventually, but he was more of the opinion that um, a lot of these things don't matter. Okay. Um, again, it's it's his opinion, and I respect him for it because I am of a similar opinion. And actually, that's why I that's part of the reason why I wanted to work with him
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, ultimately and why we got along is because, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't about, you know, I, I was not the top student in the class Um, and he didn't expect me to be, he expected me to be a good researcher in the end. And I think I was, Um, but, but that being said, it can be very difficult to, sort of cold contact someone or but which is why i like this seminar setup it's you ask you you figure out what questions you're um you want to ask if you're really interested in working with this person you know just come up with any old question really it's important to just start talking to the person to to get them to know your name to get them to know that you're interested it doesn't have to be some um some amazing insightful question that draws their attention again it, it depends on who you're talking to but at least in my experience just start talking to someone come up with any question that you have about their research any anything you want explained more um
0: yeah it's funny because i think like i did something similar you same kind of seminar class um instead of going up to the professor after the class because let's see, first year I was in a very different mental space than I am now Uh, my anxiety was way worse this was Mm -hmm. before the antidepressants and and anxiety medication or anti-anxiety medication Um, and you know just asking for you know to be considered to work with is a very scary thing, especially when you don't think very highly of yourself. Um, so I rushed up to my office, <laughs> the opposite of what you did, um, and wrote an email right away actually saying, I'm interested. Can we set, like schedule a time to talk? Yeah. Um, so I mean, in the end, we did like have that scheduled time to talk, kind of like, I guess, you yeah, and your advisor. Yeah. But, but I couldn't... And I know some some of the other students did. Um, It was a little competitive in the sense of... I think there were five of us originally. um, But then two ended up deciding they wanted to work with someone else. So then it was just the three of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I think there were people that might have talked to him right afterwards. And that wasn't something that I could do. But um, but why I think this is kind of interesting is because... um, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago when I went to the one of these uh, conferences for undergraduate women in physics, yes, um, I was on a panel about, I don't know, I forget what the, the exact name of the panel was, but um, it was giving advice about grad school and, and getting research to the undergrads, um, and there was one faculty member on there, and her opinion of what she wanted from students was drastically different than than the advice that i was giving and i don't think would have worked for some of the the people that i have worked with over the years um so she wanted a cv she wanted a list of all classes all skills um your gpa and things like that she wanted way too much information that for me i would have said like if you want all this i don't know if if you know as you said, with your advisor, you you were of the same idea of how grad school and research should work. Um, But I think like, I would have been in a very different situation and maybe not have gotten along with this professor as well. Um, But also, my experience has been that some people don't read your email if it's, if it's very long, like they will, um, not deliberately, but they might say, I'll get to it later, and then never do.
1: Yeah, how long was your first email? What exactly did you say in it?
0: I don't remember. I could probably pull it up and find it, but um, I think it was basically like I saw your talk. Um, I was very interested in these projects that you talked about. I was also interested because you said you're very involved in outreach, and mm-hmm. that's something else that's important to me. So for me, that was a like a, that was a huge deal because. Most of the other professors talked just about their research primarily, and this was a professor who talked about some other things that he did besides just the straight-up research, Um, but also he presented his work as coming from a mix of, uh, like, theory and experiments and computation, Um, and at the time I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to limit myself to one area or another, so I had told him um, I want to do theory and experimental, but I do not want to do computation. Funny enough, I think that's what I do mostly now, but I do kind of do a mix still.
1: So, how many how many labs did you consider before you settled on this one?
0: Well, um, I did talk with some of the faculty when I visited, um, before I was accepted, or when I was accepted. The timing there is a little weird... Um, so I did talk to a few professors, um, mostly in like the nonlinear side of things because that's what I was interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, and with each one of them, I kind of got a feel of the work, but also the personality. And I, there were some people where like, I really liked the work, but I didn't quite like the personality, whatever it was. It was just something like, I have a bad feeling about this person. And then later on you know, I realized, like, okay, how this person runs their lab, I probably wouldn't have done so well in. Um, yeah, so, so I just thought it was, um, I mean, I got a feel of the people in person, which I think was very nice. Um, I was considering that area of work, but mm-hmm. I think at the time when I actually emailed this person that I ended up working with, um, I think the meeting went really well. Um, he seemed pretty friendly and. That was something I knew I needed at the time.
1: Interestingly, um, if I recall, he wasn't even hired yet when when you got in. He was um, he was new, right? He,
0: he yeah, he was new. Um, so he didn't have any students yet. This was kind of you know he he was trying to get his first batch of students during this talk.
1: So he wasn't someone you had considered before. Yeah, he wasn't
0: someone I had considered before I got there because I didn't. I heard that he might be hired and might be starting from one of the professors that I talked with uh, a few months before that. So he was kind of on my radar, but I didn't really know too much about his work. But yeah, I found it very interesting that, that this other professor um, had asked for so much information, just, you know, what skills you have, the, the one in the, the panel that I was yeah, talking about, yeah. because um, my experience has been less is more. Uh, like, I think I do better speaking in person.
1: Yeah, it's, it's tough, and perhaps, perhaps some of our listeners might have a different different experience, because keep in mind that, okay, um, typically graduate courses, or graduate class sizes for our field physics are a, on the order of 20 people <laughs> at the size of school yeah. that we're at. Yeah. I mean, your, mine was a different size. Yours was really big. Yes. But, um, but the thing is, and some other fields, perhaps engineering, for yeah. example, there's a lot more competition. So I can see this being an option. Now it's, it's not what I like personally. Yeah. I, I like the idea of taking anyone who has, who is just passionate about certain types of questions or, or interested, and I don't care. Well, I haven't had to hire anyone yet, but I imagine that myself, I wouldn't care so much about their transcripts.
0: Yeah, so, so if, I mean, if it seems like from experience, professors might be looking for different things in your emails when you kind of cold contact them, what, wait, what are some things that we could say are definite? Oh and then what's what are some things that you know you might want to consider adding depending on yourself or the
1: person sound interested yeah. so cold contact in person sounding interested is easier than in an email emails I agree it should be short yeah, but you should express in some way enthusiasm about working for a person or or interest uh, inquire about what research they plan on doing, Mm -hmm. um, in their lab, uh, if they're looking for any grad students or undergrads, undergrads, I suppose, or even, um, if you're a postdoc listening to this and you're, (laughs) well, that, that's a little bit different. It's usually for job offerings, but, um,
0: so, I mean, it's kind of important, um, to at least know a certain amount about the research that they're working on yes so i mean you can't just email them and say hey i'm so and so and i want to work with your group there's my short email like let's set up a time um but
1: knowing about their research is key or knowing about some of their past research and inquiring about what they're doing right now say hey i'm interested in this this and this in the past you studied dna folding okay But now you study regulation of other proteins, for example. You as a very specific example, in the past you were interested in them studying A, but they might have moved on to B, but say that, hey, you're still interested in studying B. I'd like to talk.
0: Yeah, so probably if you can't see a talk by them, I mean we both saw talks by these um who were our um ultimate advisors um the ultimate ones (laughs) but um but if you're if you haven't seen a talk by them um probably checking out their website uh seeing what papers they have published and and i think this though you know it Seems overwhelming because you're not going to understand their paper, especially if you're not in that field like already. If you're if you're a new researcher, a new new undergrad or an undergrad either trying to get research or a new grad student. Some grad students haven't had any undergrad research, um, or might be switching fields completely. You might, you know, have a very hard time understanding their paper, and I think that's okay, um, as long as you kind of make it known you at least tried to like oh i saw this this paper it seems like it could be interesting like work for me but i don't quite understand it do you mind explaining it to me more
1: yeah well for for large groups i would say that if you're an undergraduate seeking research experience in in a group uh look for their grad students ask the grad students what this person does, especially yeah. if you have a hard time understanding the papers yeah uh, though as an undergrad um, again it's a little bit field dependent I think, but it also doesn't necessarily hurt just to try out the group yeah. um, almost <laughs> well, okay there is different there's different um, approaches to this, but one option is to. Try as many different groups as you can, and get a yeah. flavor for the field that you're in. That is
0: that that I I think take that with a grain of salt. Because, exactly. Because you don't want to be changing advisors every semester. Someone's going to wonder, and and that actually happened to me once. Um, mm-hmm. With um when I was applying to an REU. Mm-hmm. um I got an email from from the program saying like you're interested in x but looking at your like um your experience you've worked and why um basically what's up yeah that and and I think my response at the time was I thought this was supposed to be how we get experience so we know uh what we want to do in grad school and that's why I I tried one thing I didn't like it and now I want to try something else and their next email to me was Okay, you're accepted.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I think there's multiple thoughts as far as this goes. If you're looking to hire someone and they have previous research experience, of course you'd rather them be, well, actually, if you're looking to hire someone, you might want them to have previous research experience in the field that you're in. Yeah, maybe. Though... I'd say that a variety of experience is also beneficial. And certainly if you're an undergraduate, um, unless you're, you are miraculous, miraculously know what exactly you want to do for the rest of your life, I'd say it's worth getting a variety of experiences.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say so. So when emailing, I want to come back to like what you're yeah. going to say. We've gone a email. little bit
1: off topic.
0: Um, you know, say you're interested in their work, show somehow that you you've seen you've you've seen something about their work, whether it's the talk they gave, whether it's their website or um like their paper that they wrote, a grad student you talked to. Um and then I think it's okay to obviously give some of your experiences. I don't think you should list everything like this professor had said um like every single class you took and and your grades and every single thing like that that that's way too much i would say
1: well i would assume that the professor would say okay now what are your what please send me a cv um i'd like to see your unofficial transcript yep, maybe and so on so
0: i never had i don't think i've had anyone ask me for an unofficial I'm, transcript
1: I've never had anyone ask me for. I don't a think anyone transfer. even really
0: asked me for a CV unless it was like I was applying to something. Well, I um, mean,
1: I guess when I was applying to my postdoc position, that's a little bit different, though. Yeah. But.
0: But I mean, I think having a formal application process is different, and that's not what this is talking yeah. about. So, so if you're, let's say, I, I mean, coming from physics. If you know that this project might have to do with some sort of computation, I mean, maybe this is not just physics, but other areas in STEM as well, and you have some computation background, um, you know, I would throw that in there saying like, oh, I know Java, or I know MATLAB, or I know Python, or I just started learning these, or I'm willing to learn these. Um, And if it's more of a theory-like position, I think throwing in like, oh, I've taken like some higher level math classes if, if that's like not, you know, the field that you're, if you're not already in math, because otherwise, I guess maybe they would expect you to have have those math classes. But, um, but yeah, I don't think you need to throw in your whole transcript and every single little thing you did.
1: Now, and if you're listening and you're in the humanities or social sciences, um, please let us know what the differences are. Um, if, oh,
0: man, I should ask Victoria to talk about how she got her her research job in undergrad with burning apple... No, burning pears.
1: Yeah. And I have a friend whose background is in philosophy, and he would show up in a suit every day to class. So that makes me think that, on one hand, maybe philosophers are very... I
0: don't think that...
1: It him. could but just the, be him, though. I think that
0: was just him. But but I, I should ask how she got her research position. I mean, that was... Archaeology, anthropology. I'm not sure which department that position was in, but somehow she had some research burning pears.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's legit.
0: No, I mean, it, there's reasons for that. It was just to see how different temperatures affected these things and and what ways they burned, so that they could compare to what they found in the field. I mean, it is it is it's more legit than it sounds. Pardon me, Andrea. Yes.
1: You said compare. You were talking about pears. I just oh, want to point you. out that was a solid pun. I
0: didn't mean that.
1: We're going to be punning so often. He's going to
0: be punning. I'm going to be annoyed.
1: Yes. Anyhow.
0: Okay, yeah. So, so I mean, I think it would be similar, though, in that respect. Um, you know, she probably didn't have experience burning pears before, but maybe in that case saying, hey, I'm interested in this area where you're studying this like time period or this group of people. And, you know, I've done some reading on that already. I've like taken this class on that already. um, And I want to know how I can get involved in research. But honestly, in the end, um, I think the best thing is to talk in person. So sending this as an initial shorter message and then saying, let's talk in person, get Kind of get a feel for each other, answer their questions. They answer your questions
1: so well. I would say that yeah, that's that's especially true if you're a graduate student researcher, because keep in mind you're looking for someone who's going to advise you um, through whatever thesis writing process, whether you're a master's student, a PhD student. Well, especially if you're a PhD student, actually, this is going to be someone you're going to be working with for years, who's going to be writing your recommendations. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you get along with them, and you want to make sure you're actually interested in the work that you're going to be doing. If you're under, if you're an undergrad, yeah, it's it's important to some degree to make sure you get along with this person that you're interested in the work. On the other hand, you. May not be working with them for very long. There's that out usually.
0: Did I tell you that um, during my first meeting with my current advisor, um, one of the questions I had asked him was, about how long do you think it would take one of your students to graduate?
1: I recall this. It's funny.
0: And his response was, like, very straight face, like, eight to nine years. And knowing some people from undergrad who were in research positions and in these graduate positions for 10 years, I, you know, just was like, okay, I guess that's what it is. And I I said, sure, sure. And he laughed and said, well, I was just kidding, but I'm glad that you're okay with that. Like with working that long. Well,
1: so, so this is, I'm
0: starting my seventh year, so it's not that far off.
1: Right. Um, so at least, I think in our experience, um, starting grad school, your mindset is very different than when you're ending grad school, as as you're figuring out. Um, certainly, when I started, I was happy to be making a stipend and you know doing research and um, and actually being in grad school. I wasn't I wasn't thinking about the future. I was thinking, okay, I could just hang out here for for however long it takes and finish this. I like the person who I was working for. Yeah. Um, Now, finishing grad school is very different, right? Yeah. I mean, I, think... I know you're feeling that right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't think... I think if I was here for two more years, I would not be very happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you want to move on to the next question? Yeah,
0: I think... I think we've kind of exhausted a lot of stuff for this question.
1: Question the second.
0: Okay. So how to make your bare bones CV into something good on low budget and time? I don't know. So... <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that,
1: that's, that's the short answer, but I let's think about it. So
0: I'm assuming this person didn't mean like how to make it look nice. Um, without, like, putting a lot of time into the setup of it and, like, and by, like, low budget, not necessarily, like, high-quality paper and, like, fonts and printing. I assume that's not what it's referring no,
1: to. No, no, I, I assume it means the content of the CV. Yeah, right yeah, on. yeah,
0: yeah. I just want to make sure <laughs> we're on the same page. Go um, get
1: that nice card stock.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, you know... Going to Staples and getting stuff printed out, all fa- like, whatever. Yeah. But, okay, so, so I'm probably going to interpret this as, like, you probably don't have time to have, like, a new activity or a new experience to add to your resume or CV, and maybe by, like, low budget, so you're not able to spend money to gain additional skills by taking classes or or maybe traveling could be a problem um i'm trying to understand that like low budget part
1: um, yeah so i i think the answer is different depending on whether you're an undergraduate student or yeah. a graduate student usually as a graduate student your work as a graduate student is what contributes to your uh cv well,
0: well let's say though like but let's say you're a master's student and mm. you're, you're like taking master's classes and then you want to apply, apply to a phd program and maybe, like, there's some sort of skills that could be useful, uh, things like learning software, which could cost money. Maybe, like, some sort of hardware skills could co- cost some money, too. So if you wanted to learn welding for your job, yeah. or for, like...
1: Okay, that, that, that's a good point. That's a I like that interpretation. So um, something like... Even, like, uh, learning a new language. Yeah. A, a spoken language, I mean. No,
0: that's what I mean, but, like, maybe you don't have the time to t- time or money to take these classes. I see,
1: yeah.
0: Um, maybe you're, um, you know, working during the day and can only take classes at night or on the weekends or, like, so, something yeah. like that. So, so I'm going to kind of interpret it that, like that, but Or also... maybe
1: you're a work-study student yeah. and you don't have time for undergraduate research, for example.
0: Yeah, there, uh, there's a lot of people yeah. like that. So. So, I think, like, trying to use what you already have. So, how you can bulk up your CV to make it look nice without lying or really embellishing. Yeah,
1: um, you you don't want to lie on your CV. Yeah, I
0: know, but sometimes people do, I think.
1: Yeah, there are some well-known cases of that. Yeah,
0: so, so, what are some things you could do?
1: Online tutorials.
0: Yeah, so there's... um. Code Academy, where you can learn code, coding languages. There's this like Khan Academy, where you can actually learn not just STEM-related things, but uh, okay. other sorts of areas as well. Um, there's probably similar things about learning a language, um, you know. So if you need to be a little bit more fluent, or you want to be a little bit more fluent, something that you can do in your uh, like off time to, to build up these different skills um there are these there are these online free courses through the santa fe institute that are mathematical based um and i think it's like complexity explorer i have signed up for so many of those but i've actually not completed any of yeah.
1: them well i mean a um, number of universities offer open courseware and mm-hmm. um i know mit yeah has some um courses that they offer or or at least lectures that you can look at but sort of in the um, in the skills sense yeah there's there's the codes the online coding resources I guess so it doesn't you need time for these uh, right? yeah you
0: do need some time I mean I was also thinking of like some tutorials on YouTube for different sort of yeah uh, like software but you do need some time to like watch the videos and at least
1: attempt
0: practice, to do practice yeah um so so it's like you know besides these online tutorials that maybe you'll need a little bit more time but you know at least that's the low budget part i would say like look at all the experiences you have already without determining whether they're related
1: before we yep. before we go on to Switch. that I, I want to say very briefly that it's not only the online resources. But if you're an undergraduate and you're looking at the resources that your home institution offers, or a grad student, or a grad student, even yeah. So, um, I know at our undergraduate institution there was um, basically a languages office. There was there was a center that that had a bunch of different tapes for teach for learning languages. Mm-hmm a bunch of different I mean, translated like a, sources even newspapers and um
0: a library ha- well a library that has stuff has has these things usually like my my hometown library had i think like Rosetta Stone tapes you could like take out of
1: Oh that's nice because Rosetta Stone is really expensive. I might
0: I I might be making that up but
1: I feel <laughs> like they had
0: something um something like that Maybe it wasn't Rosetta Stone. Maybe it was something else. But but you know what I mean. Um, so Rosetta
1: Stone or something.
0: <laughs> um. So so let's just say you have no time, like to do anything new, and it's just working with whatever you have. Let's like look at it from that way right now. Okay. So so, um, advice that I was given uh, when I was making my first CV. So there was a little less on it than what's on there now um, was that I should add a bit more details to to some of these positions that I've held. And I know that's a little bit, like, debatable when we were looking at my – I mean, this is very timely for me because I just updated my CV last week when I was applying to some things. Um, so I know, like, I got rid of some of that, like, information. Some of it was extraneous, I think, but um, – You know, it was a little repetitive given, like, the very specific job that I'm applying for. So they probably know a little bit more what goes into these things. Um, But kind of saying, like, okay, I held this position, whatever this position might be, um, even if it's, like, a non-academic job, even if it's volunteer work. And then, like, give, uh, like, bullet points of, Details that are, you know, starting with some sort of action-y verb like um, prepared, da 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 da, mm-hmm. like um, organized, this um, developed,
1: facilitated, like,
0: facilitated. That was one I used a lot. Yeah, I know you. really I didn't. went through your CV. I know, <laughs> I know.
1: No, facilitated is a really it's good one because it's it's the it's the modern verb for to teach. Yeah,
0: I mean you don't want to just lecture, you yeah. want to facilitate. So so things like this and and I'm sure you'll be surprised at like how many of these things you can come up with for, you know, a job that you've had that is not academic and and then the person looking at your CV can decide like, you know, oh this this is actually relevant. Like we want to see someone who can organize some things like you know, is on top of things, is very responsible, even though this has nothing specifically to do with this academic job, mm-hmm. like, position, I know a friend of mine right now is asking about how to come up with a, like, teaching um, CV,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um, she wants to apply to some tutoring and teaching jobs, and and I was saying, like, well, anything where you have to do like, communication, um, I think could be really helpful, so instead of just saying, like, you were this officer in this organization, say, like, as this officer, I had to host weekly meetings or I had to, you know... Order
1: from vendors.
0: Work with vendors. Yeah, Yeah, like, I had to secure funds. I had to, you know, all these, like, little things, they add up and they can be useful that, like, an academic job that you wouldn't necessarily think, like, it's not just classes. There's a lot of things you have to do. I
1: mean, um, we have some grad students who are getting paid, from a grant where they organize weekly research meetings, and they have to order from Moe's, for example. That's true. And um, and I don't know if that'll get you necessarily hired into a lab, but it's it can be. I don't know. It, it can be good to hear that you have some experience with um, doing some worldly things. Oh, I know. If um, if you need to order a part from yeah. from. Uh, Exp- uh, from a vendor, oh, uh, supplies vendor. I'm having,
0: I'm having really bad flashbacks right
1: now. <laughs> oh, what uh, happened? So, do so, tell. So,
0: my first summer, this was summer after freshman year in an REU and I think I was like alone in the office at the time and like the phone was ringing and I just stared at it because I <laughs> was too afraid to talk to people Um, and I think like it rang for a while and then it stopped and then it, start ringing again mm-hmm. and then at some point I think during that summer I just I just kind of ignored that and I was just like okay I hope this goes away or like I hope somebody doesn't walk in while it's ringing and wondering why I didn't answer the phone but um there was another point where I had to like order something and I had to call and talk to somebody and that was terrifying yeah so you know if you have that sort of skill that is super useful
1: now you may have to word it the right way in order to put it in your CV Ooh. because it's a little bit. At at some point, it, it'll be weird to see that in the CV.
0: negotiate costs on love love, art. I don't know.
1: I think you have to think a little bit harder than that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> so so kind of. But the point is, like, you can. You have to think a little bit, but you have to. I mean, you can look at these things that you already have and just. Give more information.
1: What about, about them? What about hobbies? I can think of certain hobbies, such as uh, making, for example. Uh, you've had experience. Wedding. Making, like if 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 you have experience building something.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, if you have experience in a maker space, for example. I see. Yeah. If you have, if you have a hobby, okay. Well, maybe this is one of the more obvious ones, if you're in certain engineering or STEM fields, if you have had a hobby dealing with electronics in the past.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, web design, even. I don't know.
0: Oh, man. You know, there is a... Do you know how I, like, first learned any sort of, like, programming at all? It was MySpace? MySpace, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was making, like, the right anime background on MySpace, and, and like doing all this design and, and like wanting my font sizes to be good. It wasn't just MySpace, though. there was another like free web page thing that like ghost. Could... No, I mean, I know Geocities was one, but there was another one that's like, now with the phone.
1: So it's similar to my experience because in middle school, my friends and I built a let's see our video game code and cheat website mm. on Angel Fire which is apparently uh, some of these an pages angel fire yeah i was an angel fire I was person, a
0: GeoCities person. And,
1: but yeah um angel fire i think was a lycos uh was part of lycos but um but yeah i learned a lot of html now mm-hmm. i would call that scripting not programming maybe but, yeah, but I mean, similar I think ideas i suppose do
0: that um
1: but another thing i had was um we had these, uh, let's hear here, these, these book fairs at my school. And um, one of the things was uh, video game design that mm. I was really interested in early on. So I learned how to program using BASIC
0: oh. in
1: um, in middle school and then C++ afterwards.
0: I wonder so, if I could have put anything on of like using RPG Maker.
1: It's possible. I definitely put, uh, well, when I was applying to undergrad, I definitely said in my statement let's say not uh-huh. quite cv it's, it's yeah. proto cv in some ways that i've learned a lot of programming skills and, and sort of programming workflow skills mm-hmm. based on my interest in developing video games um now i'll admit i still when i was applying to grad schools i still put c plus <laughs> plus and even basic in there why because really? i learned how to um Based on my interest in programming video games, I developed these skills. Granted, I developed a bit more C++ skills with undergraduate research, but still, ultimately, it was my uh, hobby back in high school that gave me these skills. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen, um, when I was reviewing um, CVs on the Travel Awards, I've seen some things like hobbies, but they they never really did anything with it. So Mm -hmm. it would just be like, here's for a, uh, there's a research statement, they're applying for a travel award, um, they talk about the conference they attended and there's a CV and then sometimes there's a line and it's just like swimming, knitting, this like, this and that. So hold on, no, I know, I know. Um, (laughs) so they don't, they don't say anything about it, so I usually gloss over it. And I'm like, that's great, irrelevant to this. Um... Now, for you, your research has to actually do with knitted materials and different sorts of stresses and strains on how they're interacting with each other and how they're contorted. Well, yeah, even.
1: Yeah, so in the group that I'm working in right now, we study the mechanics and the geometry of knitted fabric. And we even have somebody working on the knot theory of knitted fabric. So there was an undergraduate who got um who joined the lab for some research and what she brought to the group was she she's been knitting for years oh, so yeah
0: yeah.
1: So that's that's one way that she got into the group is through her knitting experience actually.
0: And that's how the knitting circle actually started. And
1: right? yeah. yeah. Cuz she
0: was already doing that with some of the other undergrads as a de-stressor.
1: We have a very fascinating group. I love it.
0: Yeah, I mean um Honestly, I haven't had to use this skill in my lab yet, but it's one that I probably have way more experience than anyone else. But because we do some cardiac dynamics, there is thread and needles in the lab to sew up um, muscle and tissue. Like sutures? I don't know what that means. Okay. But I have, like, pretty decent sewing experience. Um so that could have been something that i you know had like had i applied to this position in a different way with the cv i could have talked about how like you know maybe how accurate i could be at sewing or whatever you know it's just to um relate that to the work that i'm interested in um but there was something else that i was i was thinking about i forgot
1: well there was this is interesting there was one RU student, who who was oh doing uh, research, uh, summer research into the mechanics of golfing, oh, yeah, and she's yeah, yeah. a she's a pro golfer, something I, like that.
0: I don't know if she's pro, but like she, yeah, she does. She's, she's a, a very competition golfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was actually really cool because um, it related really well to the the research group that they. Mm-hmm that she was working with um and also had her own like experiences with the golf um and hitting the ball certain ways at certain angles and all that I didn't really understand so much but is, is cool. there
1: anyone else with um with sort of some interesting prior experience so, that... so
0: actually I saw oh it's one of these posts that I have like um that I have put aside on Tumblr that I haven't actually read yet, but mm-hmm. it was a very in-depth post about how to um, write um, your fanfic writing experience on your <laughs> CV, you know, like updating weekly, like, you know, like yeah. stuff, stuff like that. And I mean, I think that's a great idea. I wish, I wish I like read the details of it, but, but like, that's such a great idea of, you know, it's a lot of work, um, it is something you enjoy doing and, you know, keeping a certain time schedule such as updating weekly or, or however you do it, having to deal with like feedback and, and you know, the, the mm-hmm. community that's like, um, you know, this sort of, um, what is it called? Like, so it's kind of like customer service skills cause mm-hmm. you have to deal with the, the feedback from these people, um. a pretty regular basis and yeah and maybe do it politely or maybe Maybe. not politely depending on what it is i've obviously had my issues with that too and just not wanting to deal with that but
1: i mean um, dealing with people is an important skill
0: yeah i I mean that's super important so um so you know it's 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 very interesting the different ways you can um spin i guess is that like spin the like skills that you already have i don't know um
1: yeah, just, spin is probably I'm the, the right word. i
0: like, spin team. Yeah, um, nice you need to of get, re- yeah, reference. You need to get your own spin team for your CV. Yeah. Um, and then figure out, like, hey, you do these things all the time, and you didn't even put it down. And you'd be surprised what your friends could probably tell you that you do that you don't even
1: yeah. know. Now, highlight highlight this. Uh, be picky about the skills you want to highlight, though, if you're doing this.
0: Don't throw everything on. Yeah. I need to take my own advice.
1: Yes. Yeah. So if you throw too much on, then somebody will be like, well, you're just, you are literally taking the route of putting everything on here that you can think of that might possibly apply. In some ways, that is what you're doing, but you don't want to make it look that way. Yeah. So choose a few things and be wise about it.
0: Yeah. Um. But also, um. so... One thing that I think a lot of people don't tell you is that spacing is important. Mm. Um, I mean, and you had kind of pointed this out when you said, you know, add an extra space here to split up yeah. like some of the lists that I had. Um, but I was also given that feedback on like a poster I was given, how mm-hmm. like you don't want it to be all text. Well, that's always pretty bad. But, you know, mo- maybe more images in that case. But with a CV, you don't really have images. Um, but you probably don't want text to be crammed in there and make it look too busy because otherwise where is the person's eye going to be drawn? So I think it's okay to use the space and if you don't have a lot of things, just like make sure you're kind of smart about the space so it is appeasing to the eye. Appealing. Appealing to the eye. Appealing to the eye.
1: Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing with CVs. And it does depend what, on what position you're applying for. But if you think a lot of people are going to read your CV, or sorry, if you think that the person, the audience for your CV reads a lot of CVs in any given day or is really busy, you need to design your CV such that it can be read through really quickly, say yeah. two minutes. So yeah. that, that is one thing about the spacing. They, whoever is reading your CV shouldn't have to hunt through this long document in order to find what they want to find.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably why my advisor had me put the numbers for, you know, how many talks I gave, um, how many, like, grants I got and things like that. Yeah. So it was very clear without having to count the list or even pay much attention to the list at all. Uh, but... On that same note, like, feel free to use things like italicizing, like underlining, and bolding to make certain things stand out. So, um, but use it sparingly. Yeah, yeah, use it sparingly. Otherwise, it doesn't stand out. Right. But like, I know for my um thing about like the Society of Women in Physics, one of the things that I bolded, one of the like bullet points was that I had chaired a conference because that was, I think, a pretty important thing. Yeah. Um. And while I had a list of a lot of other things there too, because I did so much stuff with that with the, that position, um, that was one that I just felt like was very key, and I really wanted to highlight. Right.
1: So it, it depends on the challenges that you're facing day to day. So if it's a time issue, that can be really tough. So you'd be relying on whatever um, current experiences you're pulling out of your what you do day-to-day or what you've done in the past. Um, but if it's only a money thing uh, and and you do have a bit more time that you can spend on developing your skills, there are organizations that you can volunteer for, academic yeah. organizations, professional organizations. Um, and that that's always good. There's research uh, depending on your fields. If you can, oh, again, I don't know the humanities so well, but I'm sure that, uh, somebody needs a volunteer to work on something right even yeah. even if it is just working with professors working at the front desk or organizing something yeah um
0: it's really hard to have to deal with professors
1: yeah well <laughs> with, with some professors um i
0: mean just in like with a group of professors
1: yeah professors can be demanding i suppose um
0: but also like Butting heads because they want their own sort of thing, you know. Oh, let's prioritize. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true for a lot of positions.
1: Yeah, I mean, professors are people too, and it's hard dealing with people in general.
0: Professors are people too. Wackadoo, wackadoo.
1: I don't know that one. Okay. That was like
0: fifth grade choir. We had kazoos. Don't ask.
1: Okay. (laughs) But. But here's the thing, yeah. There's a lot of ways to develop your skills on a budget. There's, there are things that you can add to your CV on a budget. The time issue is a little bit tougher, right? Yeah. And and I think what, to me, what you should take out of this is if time is an issue, if there's, if there's nothing else that you can add, look through what you've done with a critical appraising eye. Mm-hmm and and say well actually i have something to offer with this skill that may not be necessarily related to my field but is more of um a practical skill is
0: even if it's not like a position you had like i can imagine say something as like someone with kids sure having to you know organize things like feeding and bathing and all that stuff, like, there's probably a way you can list those skills um, uh, to to show that you're a very responsible person and and, um, useful in some sort of position.
1: Yeah. So another thing we have to emphasize is that there's a difference between a CV and a resume. And that's not clear to everyone. Um, It's not even clear to me.
0: What's the difference?
1: (laughs) Well, first and foremost, I would say that resumes are short. Two pages.
0: Well, let's talk about resumes another day. Okay. With where I already like.
1: Yeah. Okay, so shall we end this question?
0: Yeah, so I think um, we've we've said a lot. If there's still more questions about CVs, we can handle that another time.
1: Okay, question three.
0: Post-PhD plans and options other than being a professor at an R1 institution. Um, So first, Mm -hmm. could you clarify what R1 means?
1: Can I clarify what R1 means? Well, it's a, uh, it's... Because
0: I didn't hear about that in undergrad. I don't...
1: Well, neither did I. I heard about it around the same time you did, actually, in that teaching course.
0: Yeah, that that's what, when I heard about it.
1: So, R1 universities means that they prioritize research. So, R, the R rating system, and I had to look this up recently, just now. Very recently. <laughs> Um, it means that, or traditionally means that they are doctoral awarding universities. There's R1, R2, and R3. And on the other side, there is teaching universities, T1, T2, T3, And specifically, R1 universities have um, research as a top priority, have a certain budget for research, and produces a certain number of... Um, PhDs per year.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I think that, just to make sure everyone's clear with that. Um, well, obviously, there are these other universities that you could get jobs at if you wanted to, so not just um, R1. Um, I know when I mentioned before, I was looking at some of these four-year schools for, like, still doing some research, but primarily focused teaching, they would be not R1 institutions. They would, they would be in the T category. They would probably be, you know, I don't know which ones are considered T1 or whatever. I haven't actually looked at the list, but, but you know, it's like they're not uh, focused on how much money you're bringing in as a professor, how many grants you're getting, how many papers you're producing a year, how many degrees, like, you're given. Um, it's primarily focused on on teaching um, when you get tenure they look at they look at your like teaching record more they look at um, the reviews from your students as well I was told and they still might look a little bit at papers you, you you've published and conference you have conferences you've gone to but that's not the key thing so so those are obviously other options that you can do after a PhD and for those positions you don't need a postdoc yeah
1: so I would say broadly speaking there's academic and non-academic, right? So yeah, we've just talked about yeah. the academic side of so things. So we're just
0: that's just the academic side of things. So for non-academic, another thing I mentioned before, it's still research related um, but working at a national lab Um, So there's a bunch of those all over the place. um, And
1: specifically STEM research. Yeah, this is
0: specifically STEM research. um, But, you know, all over the place, um, like all over the country, but their countries as well have their own national labs, obviously. um, And those you probably do need some sort of um, like postdoc position for. I don't think you go right into...
1: I mean, you can get a postdoc position at a national lab.
0: Yeah, but you still need then a, a postdoc position.
1: Basically. So it depends because you can also be a staff researcher.
0: That's true. That's
1: it's true. it's not quite as clear. Yeah, that's not that's not true.
0: I what I said is it, not true. Yes, <laughs>
1: sorry. That's okay. So there's if if you want to do research and and you're in a STEM field, there's a number of options. So yes, there's the academic options. Ultimately. You could be a professor or you can even stay at an academic institution. a lot of our ones have staff researchers that yeah. you know, are older. I I know of, you know, I know one a few. yeah. Um, who have sort of like NIST level National Institute of Standards researchers working in their lab even though they're out of school, right? Yeah. Um now there's non academic which we can easily separate into uh, national labs slash other sort of government-related institutions. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's the private sector. Yeah, so specifically with um, with the industry side of things, a lot of times... Now, I'm not an expert on, um, on industry, on private sector jobs. Um,
0: so you can work in consulting where someone is using you for your particular expertise. So whether that is a STEM field or not, I mean, you can be a consultant for some area of history that you know about for writers or for um, like television programs and things like that. I yeah. know that they were like science consulting for certain TV shows and things like that too. But um, the you can have like um, a humanities based job for consulting and, um, A few other, uh, jobs that you could have, um, that come to mind.
1: Wait, one one second, before we move away from consulting. Mm -hmm. So, there's freelance consulting that you can do.
0: Freelance was the word I was thinking of. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Awesome. So, there's freelance consulting that you can do, and, um, that's, that may or may not be steady. Mm -hmm. Um... So you can, yeah, we're, we're in what people call this gig economy, right? So one thing you I've can... I've
0: never heard that. Really? No, I have not.
1: So um, we're in this gig economy where people can have multiple, where a lot of people have multiple jobs at once um, and sort of do something on the side, like drive for Uber or Lyft or whatever. But but we're talking more of the PhD version of it so one thing that you can do is you can be a freelance consultant where you work yeah consulting for movies and tv shows books uh, books yeah um yeah i think you brought up writers um Mm -hmm. and helping writers with their background research but you can also be a staff consultant Mm -hmm. and and this can be for any number of things again yeah in my experience, STEM comes to mind. So, there are companies um, that you can work for, where, in whatever uh, particular area of expertise you're you're hired as, in you're basically sent to help other companies streamline their manufacturing process, or something like that, or or consult on. Um, some sort of legal issue with building a structure Mm -hmm. in this historical area just to be very vague because I don't know what I'm talking about as far as that goes but um but consulting certainly for for my area which is theoretical physics tends to be um a bit more prevalent since you're dealing a lot more with computers and and just basic math than you are with uh laboratory equipment. So the other side of that is data analyst. Yeah. Um, now these are cases where you're still learning the skills you developed while you were, you were writing your thesis. and may be some skills that you have to pick up along the way, but there are certainly other things that you can do with the PhD. Do you... you yeah, to I say mean... A few?
0: Oh, yeah. So I was also thinking... Um, so I know some people who do patent working. As scientists, I never really thought of science and law coming in together, which I don't know why, but to me it seemed like two very different things. Uh, so this was somebody who had a STEM PhD um, and then works for a patenting company to, or to help the company understand uh, when scientists try to submit patents, um, like does this language make sense? like. You you have the STEM background, you can kind of understand, so you can suggest how to rewrite this to submit that patent and get approved for it, because it's very different than writing a paper. Yeah. Um, but you could also do patenting, obviously, for, like, a, with a humanities degree, you don't need to be a STEM person for that, obviously, but
1: hi. Yeah, with a humanities degree, yeah, it's, um, I'm sure that there's some sort of patent law that you mm-hmm. could do. Um, but another thing that's, I think, a little bit related that comes to mind um, is policy.
0: Yeah, that was also one thing I was going to say soon.
1: Yeah. And, and that's
0: super important.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that's definitely one where no matter your, your background, no matter whether you you got your PhD in a STEM field or in a humanities field, Social science, yeah. actually, social science would be.
0: I mean, I think, I think, think social applicable. science would probably be what people assume would go into policy. That's true. But, <laughs> um, STEM
1: is, STEM might be the exception, actually. But no,
0: I, I mean, it's really important that STEM PhDs do go into policy um, because obviously there are laws being made that you know might affect the environment certain ways and affect um, affect how we live our lives but i think also it's really important for humanities people to go into policy as well because they might know a little bit more about the history and the culture of certain areas and and why some policies are important to put in place or keep in place that someone who didn't study that thing you know wouldn't wouldn't care about or wouldn't know and you know might be damaging to certain cultures
1: yeah uh, linguistics comes to mind as a yeah. very potentially I guess uh, strong player in a uh, policy mm-hmm. actually. I think I mean regional dialects are important to, to understand. Um, yeah.
0: So I think though like there's a lot of different jobs that you can do with a with a PhD that's uh not just research. Um and it might take some looking around.
1: And creativity.
0: And creativity. Uh, so, yeah, it might, it might take some looking around and creativity. This is kind of similar to, I guess, our CV um, our CV advice, you know, being creative with how you represent things. And here, in this case, being creative with how you apply your PhD skills to certain areas, um, certain jobs.
1: Well, actually, now, now that you bring that up, um, one thing that we're told as physicists is that a lot of companies like to hire physicists, but there are companies out there who want to hire physicists. They just don't know it yet. So there is a certain degree of selling yourself. And I think I think this goes beyond physics mm-hmm. and this sort of idea that uh, you should highlight certain skills that you have, that you should sell yourself to... Um, to a potential employer who you want to make it known that your skills are really valuable for, um, for what they might be hiring you you for. It's just, they may not realize it yet.
0: So I actually want to know for our listeners, has anyone else, whether in physics or in another sort of like PhD program been told you can get any job because we've been told that multiple times. Yes. Basically, like, we've been told with with a physics degree, you can get any job you want, which I don't know if that's just us being conceited or, or what, but I would like to hear from listeners um, if they've ever been told that in physics or out of physics because maybe, maybe it's just our department. Maybe it's just... Oh, people, it's, not it's not just our, our Because it was a, <laughs> it was specifically somebody who came to speak from, um, from I think a, a research from a national lab that said that, or I mean, s- someone else. I don't I don't remember. But, I've
1: heard i I've heard it a lot.
0: Yeah. So so I mean, um, I think also, um, this is one that I didn't think about either. Like what I can do with my PhD. You know, there's this national organization, uh, for physics. Obviously, you know it. Uh, the American Physical mm-hmm. Society, different positions that you can hold in the American Physical Society that are not research based. Uh, I was looking at one that was like a was it a project manager for like diversity work,
1: mm-hmm. and that
0: was something that I was really interested in. Um, it required a physics PhD, although I feel like it should require also some sort of humanities studies there too for like the diversity aspect. But but if it's something like You know, you really like the community you're in in academia, but you really don't want to do, like, the academic work yourself. That was something I was kind of considering um, applying for that position, but it was way before I would have, like, graduated, so I just didn't. That was something that I thought, you know, maybe if I want to keep involved with physics, but I don't want to do the research and don't want to focus completely on the teaching, so, so that could be something I could do, but... Um, I'm sure there there are these, like, national organizations for other areas, not just physics, obviously. You might want to look into, uh, like, your field and see what one exists and how to get involved in that. And also, usually, as part of these organizations, they'll advertise different jobs and they will try to also teach you about the different job options that you have.
1: Yeah. And, again, this this goes back with sort of being a little bit creative with your possible opportunities But a big one that's emerging because people blog or or do podcasts is uh, communication. Yeah. And.
0: Super important as well.
1: Yeah. So, um, so developing a writing portfolio Mm -hmm. and, and seeing if you can get hired or sort of um, contractual work for, um, for, for different publications or, yeah, Yeah. I mean, maybe this overlaps a bit with, um, with the consulting side of things. Yeah.
0: You can start out doing contractual work um, where, you know, you're just submitting maybe one article or, or one thing at a time to see if you like it. And that's also building up your portfolio. Um, I had two articles um, published in Physics Today, and that was something that I was also considering because I always liked writing as, like, other things I was doing growing up besides, like, science sort of stuff. So so that was something I had considered Um, And obviously there are a lot of different journals, magazines, um, public uh, newspapers are also looking for science um, and not, I guess, not just science writers, but um, I'm thinking of science writers just because I have a lot of specific things on the brain of just what needs to be communicated in better ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, we certainly have our bias towards science because that's what we're thinking about. But other fields need good communicators as well. Yes. Yeah. And especially if you feel that reading the news, uh, certain facts are inappropriately represented. Yeah. So communication is important in general. And keep in mind with the PhD, you are an expert. You are the person who should be answering questions about whatever field it is you're in. You're you are finally the qualified one, so sell yourself that way. So if communication is a thing that you think you can do, start a blog, start writing for Medium, or uh, or a professional publication, or yeah. or um, yeah,
0: basically look around. Um, start and... a
1: podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. And. You're not going to get anything if you don't try. So just if you think you like a position that you see, try it out. Maybe read a bit more about it also to see what sort of skills you need and figure out how to get those sort of skills that, you know, your normal PhD work might not give you the time to to develop. Yeah. Okay. So.
1: Shall we I, finish up?
0: Yeah. I think I'm um all, like, wiped out for the night and – forgetting lots of words and cats are making noises, so
1: Yeah, if you hear um scratching or chewing, chewing noises, that's our cats. If you hear a random hiss, they <laughs> got into a fight.
0: Yep. They also kept jumping on the table during this podcast, so uh that that was fun.
1: Yeah. So um this should be out pretty soon. We need to edit it.
0: Yep. Um, So, just a reminder of how you can contact us. We have a few different ways. So, we have our Gmail. Um, You can email us questions or comments. Um, The username is curriculummortisepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, The username there is curriculummortisepod, just because they don't let you have so many letters We also are posting these on um, Podbean, but maybe they can be found other ways. I haven't actually asked how people have been downloading them. Um, So that's curriculum mortise. Also, you can find us on Tumblr and um, ask questions through the Tumblr ask function there. Um, And that's also curriculum mortise. So those are the ways you can contact us have a good two weeks
1: have a good period of time but
0: we'll see when this gets posted and when the next one gets posted
1: yeah so good night stay healthy
0: i don't know what to sign off as so peace
1: professors are people too
0: wackadoo wackadoo screw that not that
1: toodles